Robin, Phil, and Ruth, I won't be able to see your reactions, but there is a story that I heard years ago of a pastor who showed up to a church one day and he was going to preach and only one solitary man came through the door, sat down in the pews, and it was just going to be him and this other individual and no one else. So he walked up to the man and said, well, I don't know what you think. Um, it's just the two of us. Should we just call it a day? Should I just head on home um, and we'll just rest this, this day? And the, the man was an elderly, elderly gentleman. He was a, a farmer, a, a rancher. And, and he said, well, I reckon I don't know much about preaching, but I know a thing or two about, about farming. And I know that if only one cow comes to eat, you still give him hay. The preacher said, yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right. And he was really encouraged by that and emboldened by that. And so being a good Baptist preacher that he was, he got up in that pulpit and he let her rip. He preached his heart out. It was just a full hellfire and brimstone experience that you would come to expect from a small Baptist church out in the country. Just gave him the whole, the whole experience. Well, he concluded and, and he came up and he talked with this, uh, this gentleman once again, he said, well, you know, what do you think? What did you think of that? And the, the old man said, well, I reckon I don't know much about preaching, but I know a thing or two about farming, and I know that if only one cow comes to eat, you don't feed him the whole bale of hay. Well, that was, it, that was a joke that was told to me years ago, and I thought it was funny then. I think, still think it's a little bit funny. Again, I can't see your reactions, so I don't know if you think it's funny or not, or if it's just silly. It is just silly, but I do have a sermon that I've prepared. Um, here in this building today, it's just my family. I just, I've got me and my kids, uh, and then we've got um, you all online. So I'm probably going to save this sermon. Um, uh, We'll, I'll bring it again another day, and uh, this, this, it'll be good. I can refine it a little bit more, perhaps, and, and such. But for today, I don't want to leave you without something from God's Word this morning, however. So I do want us to turn, and I'm just going to take a moment to collect my thoughts, because as we even got started, we didn't know if perhaps there would be some late individuals that would come through the door, and that would impact the, the route, that, the direction that we would go. So I'm just going to take a moment and collect my thoughts before I uh, open up God's Word today. So just, just, give me, just give me a couple of moments here. Okay, we're going to be in the book of Micah. And it's possible uh, to those listening online, it's possible you've heard me give this lesson before. I have taught it a few times. Um, it's kind of a go-to passage for me in various sectors of life. This is the closest, uh, I can't even quite say that. You know, some people have life verses that they, they kind of claim and say, oh, this is my life verse. And there's a couple of New Testament passages that I could point to that would probably be closer to that. But this would be in the conversation. If I were to develop, this is my life verse, not necessarily a huge fan of that premise um, because of some of the implications. It's like, okay, the, you know, all Scripture is inspired and is profitable. Uh, you, there, there are sometimes some passages that mean more to us and guide us and shape us more than others. But all Scripture is profitable for us. So 
I'm not saying it's wrong to have a life verse, but it's just not, uh, it's not necessarily an pro- uh, a approach that I generally take. But if I were, <laughs> if I were to go that direction, this passage would be in the running. It's the Old Testament passage from the prophet Micah. Micah chapter 6. In the context of this passage, we have an indictment from the Lord. Micah has been speaking to the people and calling them to repentance, calling them to turn away from their idols, turn away from that which is repugnant to the Lord, and to turn unto and holy unto the Lord once again. And through the prophet Micah, the Lord speaks to the people and calls them. In fact, here is, here is the words. I, I use the word indictment. When we think of that in a, in a legal courtroom setting, well, that word is, that's the word that's actually brought into the ESV translation in Micah chapter 6, verse 1. Hear what the Lord says. Arise and plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and your enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. And so the Lord is almost setting up like this, this courtroom setting. These last couple of weeks, we had a very high-profile case up in Kenosha, Wisconsin, where there was a young man who was indicted on a charge. And I don't bring that up to, to say that there's any real similarities between that case and what is presented here, other than the fact that we have a courtroom-type setting. The Lord is setting things up in that way. He has an indictment. He wants to bring his case. And even nature itself is going to be the judge and the jury. And he calls them to repentance. Well, down as we come into verse 6, we're going to see a little bit of the response of the people. They're going to hear the indictment and they're going to say, Oh, well, well, what should we do? We'll do what you want us to do. What? Just tell us what to do. And the response of the people beginning in verse 6 says this, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn son for my transgression, or the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Rather than coming to the Lord in true repentance and humility, it almost seems as if the people are seeking to barter with the Lord. And make, maybe they can strike a deal. Like, oh, we have sinned against you and, and this judgment is going to come upon us. Well, well, how can we appease you? How can we come before you? What, what would you be pleased with? What can we offer you? Perhaps it is these burnt offerings. Perhaps it is 10,000 rams. Perhaps 10,000 rivers of oil. Perhaps if I just do a lot of religious stuff, God will be satisfied. And you will forgive. And we will be right once again. Of course, this is in the context of the Old Testament law, when there were laws about sacrifices and about offerings. And of course, there, this is almost raised to the point of absurdity because like, oh, I'll even give you my firstborn son for my transgression. Of course, the Lord never required that. 
And the Lord specifically speaks again, but it, it shows the, the earnestness of the people, what, what I interpret to be a false earnestness, as they're just seeking to be engaged in religious activity, but they're actually forsaking what it is that God has already commanded them. They, they wouldn't have to make these different proposals if they were already paying attention to what God had already revealed. And so... That brings us to verse 8, where God responds. He has told you, O man, what is good. He has told you. He's already revealed it. He's made it manifest. It's not a secret. It's not something that we have to guess Try to figure out. And I think some people try to play that guessing game with God even today. I mean, these individuals, they're offering burnt offerings or maybe 10,000 rivers of oil. Right? I mean, my firstborn son. And there's some people that try to play a guessing game with God. They think, well, maybe if, I just, if I'm in church every week, maybe if I'm giving money in the offering, or maybe if I'm doing good deeds, if I'm, if I'm giving to the poor, if I'm doing like Operation Christmas Child, packing up shoeboxes and sending it all over the world or whatever else it might be. If, if maybe I'm just doing these different activities, maybe then God will accept me. And it's a guessing game. And when something goes wrong, they're trying to guess and figure out, okay, what did I do wrong? Where, you know, maybe I need to make something change in my life. And it's all about their external performance. But God says, he has told you. We don't have to play a guessing game. We don't have to try to figure it out. He's already revealed it to us. I'm reminded of 1 Samuel when there's a story of when Saul came and uh, there was instructions from, from God through Samuel to Saul when Saul was first made king. He was supposed to go and destroy the Amalekites. And, and he went out and, and he conquered them. He defeated the Amalekite army. But the instructions, the explicit instructions from the Lord were to kill every, every individual that were a part of the Amalekites and all of their oxen, all of their sheep, leave nothing left alive because of their abominations were so despicable before the Lord it was God's judgment upon them. And King Saul kept the king alive. And he preserved some of the spoil. He preserved the animals. And when Samuel approaches Saul and he hears the animals lowing and the sheep bleeding and he hears them making all their noise and he comes to Saul and Saul's all excited. The Lord has given us this victory. And Samuel says, why do I hear animals when God specifically said to kill all the animals? And Saul says, oh, we only preserved them so that we could offer sacrifices to the Lord. And Samuel says, no. God says, I desire obedience. To obey is better than to sacrifice. The sacrificial system was part of the law. There was aspects of it that were, that were a good and appropriate and right. But when God says to do this, and he does not do it. He misses the point. Such it is in the case of Micah. He has told you what is good. He has told you what is good. The, good, the word for good there carries the idea of 
that which is morally acceptable, that which is right. There's even an implication of worship within the word itself, what is good, what is acceptable to the Lord with a connotation of worship. Think of Romans chapter 12, which says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, pleasing and acceptable to the Lord, which is your reasonable act of worship. That's the concept here. As we live out our lives, as we live our, the, the, our conduct of life, how we engage with, uh, with things of the Lord, all of life ends up being worship. He has told you what is good. He has told you what is acceptable for worship. And then he's going to outline for us the three things that he requires of his people. And what does the Lord require? What does he want from you? What, is, what does he require in your worship of him? He's already told you what it is, and now let's just review what it is that he has already told us. And he lists three things, and I I like to think of these things in terms of three relationships because I I think that breaks it down quite nicely and is helpful for us. There's the relationship to self. There's the relationship to others. And there's the relationship with the Lord. Self, others, and the Lord. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Three relationships. Justice, kindness, walk humbly. First, relationship to self. Do justice. You know, today we have this this whole concept, people clamoring about justice and their social justice. And uh, last year when there were the riots going on downtown Louisville, they were shouting, no justice, no peace, and, and things of that nature. But this is a dis- we have a distorted understanding of what justice means in our society today. Because we don't have the, we're not comparing what whatever it is we're calling justice, we're not comparing it with the standard of justice, who is Almighty God. Do justice. Well, who gets to determine what justice is? Who gets to determine what is right? Of course, the answer to that is the Lord. The Lord determines what is just, what is right. And the Lord calls us to this responsibility. I have a, I have a relationship with myself in the sense that I, have, I must do what is right. Regardless of what anyone else does around me, I have this responsibility to do what is right, to do justice, to do what is right according to what the word of the Lord has to say. Not according to what the culture says is right, but according to what God says is right. That's the first relationship, the relationship to self, that I must do what is right. Second relationship, relationship with others. To, it says that to do justice and to love kindness. Now, my Bible has a little footnote where it says an alternate translation would be steadfast love. And depending on what translation you're reading out of, you could have a variety of things in your Bibles. It could say loving kindness. It could say steadfast love. It could say kindness, as it says here. Well, this word is a, is a very rich and beautiful Hebrew word, that uh, doesn't sound as prob- probably as, as smooth to our American ears, but it is a beautiful word. It is the Hebrew word chesed. 
And this word communicates such depth and breadth of meaning. It speaks of a, a covenant loyalty, a compassion, a kindness, a, a gentleness, a tender love, all these different concepts, this covenant loyalty rolled into one beautiful Hebrew word, chesed. And it speaks of our relationship to others. Kindness, mercy, compassion, steadfast love. That is how we are to interact with others. So I have a responsibility to do what's right in my own self with my life, to do whatever, no matter what anybody else does, I do what's right. But the reality is is that sometimes there are other people that they're not going to do what's right and they're going to sin against me. How do I respond? We respond with loving kindness, with chesed, with a covenant loyalty, steadfast love, mercy. The translation that I memorized this out of, it said, to do justly, love mercy, to walk humbly. That's the, that's the idea of mercy, compassion, loyalty. So that's the second relationship, the relationship with others. And finally, he saves the most important relationship. Indeed, this, this third relationship is the, the foundation upon which the other relationships can be built. Walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. The idea of walking, of course, communicates the idea of a relationship. You know, when you, when you first are getting to know each other, you, you know, I know when, when Lizzie and I were first getting to know each other and um, developing our relationship with one another, one of the things that we did, we, we did go on walks. We walked around and we, we walked and talked together. And that's, there's the relationship element of that. And, and this is the concept. When you're walking with someone, there is a relationship there. You're walking side by side. You're communicating with one another. There's an implication that communication is going on. And so that's what we see here that the Lord requires and desires from us that we walk humbly, have a relationship with Him. He has communicated to us in His Word. And we have the pleasure and the opportunity of communicating with Him through prayer. And so we have a reciprocal relationship that is ongoing, and His Spirit that indwells us continues to shape our hearts and our minds and direct our thoughts and our our minds as we think through things and he stretches us, he grows us, he impresses things upon us and he desires that we walk humbly with him. The Christian life doesn't have to be complicated. This was written to the nation of Israel before, of course, the, before Jesus Christ came but the principles endure on even into this present age where we don't have to play guessing games with God to try to figure out what it is that he's after he's told us it's in his word he does desire that we do what's right he does desire that we show compassion and mercy and and love to others around us but most importantly he desires that we be in a right relationship with him, that we walk humbly 
with him and we spend time with him as we engage with his word and we read what it is that he has communicated to us in the richness of the pages of scripture. We, we develop that relationship through prayer as we are on our knees, either physically or, or uh, uh, the word just left my brain. Um, I guess metaphorically, I don't know what the right word is exactly, but either, either whether it's, we don't have to be in a physical posture of kneeling, but we can be bowing our hearts before the Lord, praying to Him, pouring out our hearts to Him, asking uh, the prayers and our supplications, our requests that we bring before Him. And He has promised that He will hear and that He will answer in one way or another. And this is what it is that he requires of us. Do justly. Love mercy, love kindness, love steadfast loyalty, love, and to walk humbly with your God. This is what the Israelites simply could not grasp. They thought that if they just did their external religious ceremonies, that that would be acceptable to to God and he would overlook their other transgressions. That's not what God was looking for. He was looking for them to be in a right relationship with him. And he is looking for the same from us. Of course, we know today that the way that we enter into that right relationship with the Father in the first place is through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, dying on that cross for our sins, that all who repent and believe in Christ will be granted eternal life, will be brought back into a right relationship with the Father, will be restored. And then as we live out our days, the same things that He desired from the Israelites is what He desires of us. That we do what is right, right relationship with ourself. That we treat others with love and compassion and mercy and kindness and that we have a right relationship with the Father as we maintain that as we walk humbly with Him. And with that, let's, let's close in a word of prayer and conclude our time together. Lord, I do thank You for Your Word. I thank You that it can challenge us and strengthen us and stretch us. I pray that we would do what is right. Pray that we would have mercy on others. But most importantly, pray that we would walk humbly with you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who enables that right relationship to be there in the first place. And I pray that we can honor you as we live at our days on this earth. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.